not everyone I realize is involved in sports and stuff like that. Like, I think most of you guys are involved to some degree, but, but I know like not all of you are like in, intimately involved. You know, some people play football and stuff like that. And, you know, you, you guys do for sure. But, um, but everyone faces competition. Okay. Whether you play sports or not, you all have to compete in something. And I made you all compete in dodgeball. So, so you at least compete at something. And so, you have some idea, at least, of what I'm talking about, hopefully. Um, but, uh, but tonight, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about is, is sports and competition. And this is something that's going to be right up your alley, something you have to deal with maybe on an everyday basis for some of you, or uh, at least to some degree. So um, now competition, you know, it can be as big as dodgeball or something like that, or it can be as small as a card game right there's competition involved in a lot of different things we love to compete especially when we're younger and when you guys are teenagers competition's huge like you guys love competition so and that's great and so but we need to talk about it because there are some interesting things about competition that relate to our spiritual lives and we don't often think about them we don't have to think think about them at all and so i want to make sure that we understand what does it mean to live unstained in your competition that's kind of the question of the hour how do you allow the light of Christ to shine through your attitude when you're trying to beat somebody else? Okay, and that's kind of kind of the dilemma that people always ask themselves. You know, how how do I be Christ-like when I'm trying to like own someone in a sport? Like it doesn't make any sense at all. But and that's so we, we have to talk about that. Is there a way to actually do that? Um, now we'll talk a good bit about uh, a good bit. Uh, tonight about the athlete about an athlete okay what does it mean to be an athlete but I also want you to realize that that's not the only place that you have to watch yourself when it comes to sports we'll also talk about the fan what does it mean to actually be a fan of of different sports okay um, how do you live unstained as a fan of a sport or a sports team uh, there's things we need to talk about that uh, about along those lines as well now before we get started, uh, I need to explain to you a particular sport, okay? And that sport is one that you probably yawn at, but I have to explain it anyways. And that is golf, okay? I have to explain something about golf. And I'm, I'm not going to run through all the particular rules about golf, okay? That's not, that's not my goal tonight. But I do need to talk to you about one particular aspect of golf, okay? And that is sand traps. Okay, sand traps. And you're like, what? Why are you bringing up sand traps? Every golf course has sand traps. And the more official name for a sand trap is actually a bunker. But I'm going to call it sand traps just for the sake of simplicity, okay? Um, sand traps are, as you probably guessed by the name, are not a good thing in golf, okay? It's a bad thing. Uh, a sand trap is a pit of sand in the middle or somewhere along the lines of the, the golf course, okay? So there's like these little pockets on a golf course of sand. And it's like, well, what's the point of a sand trap? A sand trap is, is called a trap because it's very hard to drive a golf ball out of sand and you're not able to hit it very far, okay? So the goal of golf is not to hit it in the sand trap. You're trying to avoid a sand trap. Um, that's easier said than done, but that's that's kind of the point of a sand trap. It's to make it hard to try to get the ball into the hole, okay? Um, so don't hit the ball into the sand trap. 
Is that simple enough? Are we okay? I didn't lose you, right? Okay, good. So it, that's easy enough to understand. Okay, that's all I want to talk to you about about golf, okay? So we can leave the rest as is. We're not going to talk about what par means or an albatross or anything like that, okay? So um, what I want to do, I mentioned that because what I want to do is I want to bring your attention to five sand traps that you should avoid in sports, okay? Five sand traps that you should avoid in sports. And I'm going to pair this analogy with the video that we just watched, okay? Um, about the dude perfect stereotypes, okay? And it, so that our, really our objective for tonight looks like this, okay? I wanna tackle five stereotypical sand traps to avoid in sports, okay? Five stereotypical uh, uh, sand traps to avoid in sports. These stereotypes are different, really, personalities that you find in sports, kind of much like the personalities you saw in the video we just watched, okay? Um, and they, they had like 20 different ones, but I only have five, okay? And so the five stereotypes, I'll just give them to you up front, and then we'll walk through them in succession. But one is the rage monster, okay? Because that was the one that was in the video, and I'm going to mention that one as well, all right? The rage monster, uh, the sportsaholic, the sportsaholic, okay? And I'll talk to you about what that means in just a second. The celebrity fanatic, okay? The celebrity fanatic. The know-it-all, okay? The know-it-all. And then the everyone's a winner uh, guy, okay? The everyone's a winner guy, all right? So, so those are my five stereotypical sand traps that we're going to try to avoid, okay? Um, so number one, let's look at the rage monster, right? And... That label shows up in every single dude perfect video. Uh, they always find an excuse for a rage monster in every single video. Like, um, it doesn't matter if it's a, a pickup video, a pickup basketball video, or if it's a, a restaurant etiquette video. Like, they have a rage monster in every single one. Um, it's it's actually really funny. Uh, you should actually look it up. It's it's, it's hilarious. So, um, and by the way, the the dude perfect professed to be Christians, I think, or something like that. So. Um, their videos are always really clean and everything, so they're really funny. But um, I like the category of Rage Monster for our purposes tonight because the Rage Monster shows up in sports, right? And we just kind of saw an example of this with the pickup basketball, but it's the, the Rage Monster shows up in sports everywhere, okay? Um, and you're very aware of this personality, okay? Uh, because it's always the number one thing we think about uh, when we identify anything wrong with sports, okay? If there's one thing that we want to try to avoid, it's being a rage monster in sports, right? That's the one thing that people always warn you against. Um, in fact, the world even understands this. The world gets this. And the world even has a, has a specific word for the rage monster or a lack thereof of a rage monster. And that is sportsmanship, okay? Sportsmanship. Uh, sportsmanship is really defined as an ethical appropriate, polite, and fair behavior while participating in a game or athletic event, okay? That's a technical definition I found online um, in Google, okay? So it's very, it's very um, um, official, all right? Uh, but that's how we're used to thinking about sports, is sportsmanship, okay? If I'm going to try to be uh, a better, you know, sports athlete, then I need to make sure I have sportsmanship, okay? And that's true. Um, but there are four other sand traps that we're going to cover beyond this. So don't think this is the only thing you have to work on. Um, 
But since it's the most common and well-known, we'll begin here, okay? Where does the rage monster show up, okay? Where does the rage monster show up? The rage monster shows up everywhere, okay? The rage monster shows up on the field uh, or, you know, the court or something like that, like the basketball court. Uh, it's the kind of the aggressive, foul-mouthed athlete who just always seems like he's got a tack in his shoe or something like that, right? You know, he's, just, he's always angry at everything and everybody. Um, and, you know, he, he's mad because he thinks, you know, people keep fouling him or something like that. And, you know, or maybe he's in the face of the refs because he thinks, you know, the officials are, are getting the fouls wrong. Or he's mouthing off at his own teammates because they're not doing what he wants them to do and stuff like that. But the rage monster doesn't just show up on the field, okay? The rage monster shows up in the stands, okay? And I think the classic example of this is the overzealous parents at t-ball at game, you know? Um, they, they're yelling at the coach. They're yelling at the ref. They're yelling at their own kids. Like, it's, that's just, like, it's really bad. And those kind of people have serious problems. But it's not just in the stands. It's not just in the stands. And you're like, where else could it be? Well, it's also on the couch. It's also on the couch. And for those of you on the couch, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to you know, point you out or anything like that, OK? But what I mean by that is we tend to overlook um, the, uh, our attitudes when we watch TV with sports, I think. That's one I think that we often overlook. And the rage monster can show up in your home when you're watching, you know, even your favorite team just royally blow it. Like that's that's where it happens often. And I've seen it happen too many times and it's easy to control yourself in public. It's very hard to control yourself in private when you're watching your own team, okay? That's why I find where I find it's often the hardest for especially for us. Um, we can kind of control it as Christians in the, in the public, but in private, it's a little bit harder, okay? So the rage monster can be anywhere because the rage monster is actually inside of us. It's not something that's outside of us. It's not something we just tap into or just kind of comes upon us. Uh, the rage monster is something of a heart problem inside of us, okay? But as popular as the rage monster is throughout the human race, if you flip through your Bible, you're not going to find the title Rage Monster anywhere, okay? It's not, it's not in the Bible. That's because the Bible never used that term. Dude Perfect came up with that term, okay? Um, but that doesn't mean the Bible doesn't talk about the Rage Monster. The Bible has a different title for the Rage Monster, okay? And that title is a murderer, a murderer. And you're like, what? Like, how does that even relate at all? It does, and we'll talk about how it relates in just a second here, okay? But the Bible calls this person a murderer, all right? Uh, Daniel 3.19 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his, of his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it usually was heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Murder, Okay. Uh, Acts 9.1, but Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Murder, it's, it's there. Uh, even God um, is it technically uh, 
it, uh, kills people when he gets mad, okay? Uh, Numbers 11.1, 1, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. Uh, he became a rage monster. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them out, uh, and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Uh, what does that mean? Well, basically, he killed a lot of people, okay? I mean, th- like, even God, like, actually becomes a rage monster. Now, he's justified every time he does. We're, like, never justified whenever we do, but, um, but that's, that's the truth. The Bible talks about the rage monster as a murderer, okay? Now, I could go on and on and on here with different passages, but a rage monster is a murderer. And you might be saying to yourself, well, you know, hold on. Athletes don't kill people usually, okay? That's not normal. Uh, you don't see parents running out onto the field with knives and, you know, stabbing the umpire or something like that. That's true, but the spirit of a rage monster is one of murder, okay? The spirit of a rage monster is one of murder. And you're like, really? Is that true? Is really, like, anger and, and rage, is that is that, like, fuel for murder? And is that the spirit of murder? Absolutely it is. Um, turn over to Matthew 5, uh, verse 21. We'll, we'll look at a couple different passages tonight. But uh, So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, verse 21. Um this is Jesus talking, and this is what he says. He says, you've heard that it was said to the ancients, you shall not murder. But whoever murders will be guilty uh, for judgment. But I say to you, everyone who gets angry at his brother, he will be guilty for judgment. You guys see that there? Everyone who gets angry is guilty for judgment. And, and so he really, what Jesus does here is, he equates murder with anger and anger with murder. And he says that's the same thing. I mean, they're both going to be judged in the same way because really it comes from the same heart. That's kind of his logic here, okay? And so anger equals murder. A rage monster has this kind of thought, okay? This is what a rage monster thinks because, again, it's all about the heart here, right? This is what a rage monster thinks. I want to win more than anything. I want to win more than anything. That's what a rage monster what rage monster is thinking. Or I want my way more than anything. Or I want control more than anything, right? Uh, a ra- there's nothing more frustrating to a rage monster than being out on the field and totally like just getting owned. Like that's like the most frustrating thing for a rage monster. When things just don't go your way and you know, you know, if you're like playing soccer and you're constantly just getting juked out and stuff like that, that just drives a rage monster nuts, right? So that's kind of what we're talking about here. Well, what does Jesus say is the solution to this, okay? Look at verses 23 and 24. And can I have a volunteer to read those two verses of Matthew 5, 23 and 24? Joel? Okay, yeah, go and read for us. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Okay, good. He says, what's, this, what's the solution here? 
He says, care more about the people that you're running over to get whatever you want than caring about what you want, okay? In other words, a rage monster is, is all so focused on what he wants to get that he's willing to run over people to get what he wants. And that's what happens in sports all the time. Um, when someone gets really mad and upset in, the sport, in sports, they're not caring about others, and what they let happen is they, they take out their anger on everyone around them. That's what happens. But Jesus says, no, your primary concern is to love others first. Love others. So take care of the problem between you and someone else, and then you can go after whatever else you're concerned about. Okay? So that's kind of what he says is the solution there, right? And, uh, and so I'm going to leave that there for a moment, but we're going to come back to specifically more how do we actually go about this, okay, in a little bit, all right? But let's look at the sportsaholic, okay? The sportsaholic, all right? And I called this, I've, I've kind of made up my own word here, sportsaholic, although I'm sure probably someone else has said it too, but, but like an alcoholic gets addicted to alcohol, a sportsaholic is addicted to sports, okay? And that's, some, that's also kind of a sand trap that we want to avoid. Uh, now, I, use, I want to use the word addiction very carefully because it's not like sports is like a drug. And if you like don't have sports, you get this like withdrawal and stuff like that. And, you know, it's like, I've got to have sports. And it's like you take it like a drug or something like that. That's not the way it works, all right? But it, it acts a lot like addiction in the sense that it's enslaving. Sports can be enslaving for a lot of people. Not everybody. Now, I don't think necessarily anyone in this room is, is in, like consumed by sports. But it can be. It can be. Um, you can be very enslaved to sports, very addicted to it in one sense, all right? But this has to do with um, the sense that sports can consume your time and your energy and your money and your thoughts. It can consume all of you. Um, it has the capability of dictating your attitudes and your feelings, uh, of, of changing the direction of your life, um, it, it, it dictates your ups and your downs, your good days and your bad days. Sports has the potential to consume all of you. <clears throat> and I kind of want to mention this up towards the front of my list here because I've seen so many people, so many people uh, in my, uh, throughout my life get lured into a dangerous tango with sports, okay? Um, they... they I actually, I know of people right now who are just consumed by sports and it just dominates their life. That's all they ever talk about. That's all that they're invested in. Um, and that seems to be like, that's the thing like that excites them the most in life. And it's like, there's nothing else I can seem to be to talk about. It's just, it's really weird. Sports becomes life. Uh, sports is everything. Uh, sports, it really becomes your identity. It's like who you are. And I know I've kind of mentioned this before, but it kind of reminds me of those sports chalet license plate frames, you know? I'd rather be swimming or biking or canoeing or snorkeling or sleeping. I don't know, like whatever it says, you know? It's some kind of sports thing on the back of your, of your car. What is that saying? Well, what's that mean? Well, that's just kind of a roundabout way of saying that sports, this sport is my life my life i eat it i drink it you know i sleep it like it's just it's everything to me 
Um, everything else that I do pales in comparison to this sport. And, you know, I don't nearly have the same kind of joy when I'm doing, you know, something else. Okay. Uh, I actually have a dream to create a license plate frame that says, I, I, um, I'd rather be at Grace Bible Church. Uh, I think that'd be kind of cool. But actually, at first, I actually thought, like, it'd be really cool to have one. I'd rather be in heaven. But then I realized that people would be thinking that we're suicidal. So that's not really that smart. So, but we should do that. We should make it for our church. It'd be kind of fun. Um, but the sportsaholic says that sports is life. Okay. And I don't want that to be you. I don't want that to be you. But if you were again to flip your Bibles, you know, around or go to your concordance, you would never find the word sportsaholic sportsaholic in the Bible. Okay. You can't find it there. Um, that's just because, you know, I made up the word. And, and so in a sense, um, sportsaholic is not in the Bible, but the concept is still there. It's still there. Uh, although the Bible doesn't have the word sportsaholic, um, there is a, a concept that applies um, all throughout Scripture, and it applies to more than just sports, Okay. And so what the, what the Bible calls a sportsaholic is this, an idolater, an idolater, okay? An idolater is anyone who worships something other than God. And we've talked about this a number of times, and so I don't really feel like I need to go in depth here, but just to kind of jog your memory a bit, everyone is idolatrous because everyone worships something, okay? We've talked about this. Everyone worships something. Um, just because you don't have, you know, a statue in your home, like a Buddhist or a Hindu or something like that, and you're not bowing down to it, doesn't mean you don't idolize something. Everyone idolizes something. Um, this is a worldwide epidemic across all cultures, all customs, and all religions. Everyone worships something. Um, and everyone worships something other than the one true God unless they're actually worshiping the one true God, okay? And that can come in a lot of different forms. It can come in a lot of different ways. It can be anything from deliberately worshiping a different god like Allah, or it can be a subtle god like bacon, okay? So some people, I was actually watching a, a, a comedian today that was talking about bacon, and he literally talked for like 10 minutes about bacon, and he even began joking about how long is this guy going to keep talking about making, ba making bacon jokes and stuff like that. And so people can worship anything, like it's just, that's just the way it is, okay? Um, Turn over to Romans chapter 1 for, for a moment. Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Romans 1, 25. Okay, you've heard this verse before, I'm sure. But Romans 1, 25 says this. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Okay? The creature rather than the creator. Uh, the creature there, really, that's just anything that's created. Anything that's created. You can worship anything that's created in this world. It could be some, someone or it could be something. And, and that's the... Romans chapter 1 is not talking about like the vilest of offenders. It's not talking about like the worst of society. Romans chapter 1 is talking about everybody. Every single person in the world. Everyone fits into this particular verse. You worship either the creature or the creator. Uh, it doesn't, there's no third option. That's the way it is. The creature or the, or, or the creator. That, that creature could be yourself. You know, it could be bacon. You know, it could be an idol. Um, or, um, it, you know, it could be some, like, abstract concept. I don't know. Um, 
you can worship anything, but all those things are created. We are designed to worship the creator. That's the way God intended it, okay? And so here's what a sportsaholic thinks, okay? Here's what a sportsaholic thinks. Because a sportsaholic worships sports, and so I want to kind of get into the mind of a sportsaholic for a moment. And this is pretty obvious, I think, but a sportsaholic thinks, I want sports more than anything. I want sports more than anything. When push comes to shove, sports gets in the way. And here's what this can look like. Here's what I've seen this look like. It's when, you know, sports consumes your life to the point where, you know, you don't come to church very often. You're, you're out, you know, my sports is, you know, I, I've got games on Sunday, so I've got I've to do that. I've got practice on Sunday, so I can't be there. Or, you know, I don't know, like I have to stay up late on Saturday to play sports and stuff like that. And so I don't want to get up early and, and come to church. Sports can dominate your life like that. Uh, sports can dominate your life to the point of, um, of crowding out time with the Lord, um, spending time in his word, spending time praying. Um, it can crowd out uh, God in the sense of um, all you're doing is literally like, like researching your favorite sports team, uh, reading up articles on you know how you know this team did or, or, or what this you know particular sports star is doing or something like that and it just consumes your time and you don't get anything done. What is that? That's idolatry. That's idolatry, okay? So this can take on a lot of different forms. Um, and Matthew 6, 24, I think is very, very instructive for us. It warns us, no one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God in something else, okay? That's, that's the way it works. You worship something. And, and, and so sports is not something we're supposed to worship. It's something we can enjoy, but it's not something we worship, all right? Let's move on. The celebrity fanatic, okay? The celebrity fanatic. And let me explain what I mean by this because what you're thinking this means and what I think this means are two totally different things, okay? Um, I'm not so much talking about someone who worships sports celebrities, okay? That's not actually what I'm talking about. You're like, well, isn't that what a celebrity fanatic is? Yes, but not the way I'm describing it, okay? Here's what I'm, here's what I'm referring to, okay? I'm talking about sports, uh, is, it's when people talk about or are consumed by sports celebrities all the time as if we know them, as if we know them. And here's what I mean by that. We have this in our culture, especially in the last 10 or 20 years, we have this bizarre fascination with reading into the lives of celebrities. Like it just consumes every, like whether we like them or not, like we just, like we are so absorbed into the lives of other people. It's really weird. It's kind of a weird phenomenon. And this happens so much, not just with sports celebrities, it actually happens with all kinds of celebrities, movie stars, politicians, uh, fashion icons, you name it. Like, it's everywhere, all right? Uh, we eat up what's going on with this sports figure and that sports figure. Uh, we make judgment calls on he should have made that pass in this sports game or, you know, you know, he needs to sign this deal or something like that as if somehow we know better, which is kind of strange because we're not there and we're not the experts, and as if it's somehow our business too. Like, it's kind of weird. 
It's like you're literally prying into someone's life and telling them what to do. Like it's like, why are we doing that? But it's true, we do it. Um, now I'm not ne against necessarily making judgment calls. Like you want to be discerning about like if you see like, hey, this person did something really dumb. Like you want to make a judgment call about that and say, hey, that's dumb, you know, and not be just totally oblivious. But when it when something like that consumes you, there's something wrong. There's something wrong, okay? And if you're wondering, well, okay, how do you know when you've gone too far? Like, how do you gauge that? Well, let me kind of give you kind of a radar of sorts to kind of help you see if you've gone too far, okay? Here's, 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 here's the test. When you know more about an athlete than you do about your own life, you know you've gone too far, okay? Uh, when you can make judgment calls about what this sports star should or shouldn't have done, but you don't have a clue of how to live your life to the glory of God, you've gone way too far, okay? We can become skilled managers uh, of this sports figure um, or that trending athlete or something like that, but then I find that we can be definitely silent when we need to address our own issues. And so this is a really critical issue. The way you know that you've gone too far is that you're not focused on your own life. You're not focused on your own affairs, you're, the, the things that you need to be taking care of in your own life. You're letting those go by the wayside to focus on someone else's life, okay? And again here, the Bible doesn't have a, a title for this um, or, or doesn't have the title celebrity fanatic there, but it does have a title kind of like this, okay? And the, t the, the title that it uses is a busybody, okay? A busybody. A uh, busybody is someone who meddles or pries into people's lives. Um, in other words, they care so much about what this person's doing or what that person's doing that they aren't paying attention to straighten out their own, their own lives, okay? And the question is, why do people have this unhealthy fascination of others to the exclusion of themselves? Why does that happen? Well, let me kind of jump into the mind of a celebrity fanatic for a moment and tell you why, okay? A celebrity fanatic thinks, I want to feel good about myself by picking on someone else, okay? Did you catch that? I want to feel good about myself by picking on someone else. That's often what happens. A celebrity fanatic loves to point out all the faults of this sports figure or that sports figure or this athlete and says, well, I could do it better. I could do it better. Now, maybe they don't say that out loud, but that's kind of the motive that drives it. Or maybe a celebrity fanatic loves to worship that athlete and says, I wish I were that person. I wish I were that person. Either way, it's paying way too much attention to someone else's business to the exclusion of yourself. You should be way more focused on how am I living my life, not how does this person live their lives, okay? First uh, Timothy 5, you don't have to go there, but talks about um, in the church, how do you like actually define who a true widow is? Uh, it's kind of a weird, like, passage in scripture it actually like has all these qualifications for what it means to be a widow and the qualifications are almost longer than like to be a deacon like it's like crazy it's like you have to if you're going to be a widow you have to have like reared children 
and like you have to be over 60 years old and you have to be like wash the feet of the saints and you have to be like follow after every good work it's like wow this is really high a high standard to be a widow like and the idea is to be a widow in a church means that the church comes around you and supports you because back in those days when you're a widow if your husband died or something like that you couldn't go find work so you couldn't actually like live and support yourself so the church needed to come alongside you but if you're going to be a widow the church is like you need to actually like be a widow okay so you can't just be like someone who's like yeah like i could actually work or i could actually you know i have children who can help me or family who can help me no you need to actually be a widow okay and the reason why i bring this up is because <clears throat> what happens in first timothy 5 13 is that it says that there's a temptation for widows to be busybodies, okay? That there's actually opportunity for them if they're not actually doing anything and they don't have to care for anybody. They just like to kind of go around and like, like be in people's lives and kind of meddle in people's affairs and be like, hey, what's going on in your life? What's going on in your life? What's going on in your life? And they have, they have no clue what's going on in their own lives. And, and they're not caring about their own spiritual condition. They're just caring about what everyone else is doing. And they're trying to like, manipulate everyone's lives and things like that that's what you're that's what some people do with sports like they're, they're trying to like live vicariously through some other sports figure like it's really bizarre and and first timothy says don't do that don't let them do that okay so so that's that's the that's the uh celebrity fanatic that i'm talking about all right what about the know-it-all the know-it-all the know-it-all can be very obvious or you can be very subtle okay and the know-it-all, you know, can come up, come, come in the form of like a statistician. You know, you guys know what a statistician is? Someone who like cares about stats, who like, you know, adds up stats and stuff like that. A lot of people like know all bunch of, all kinds of stats about sports, okay? They can tell you like when this, you know, Super Bowl team won the Super, you know, or when this sports uh, NFL team won the Super Bowl, they can tell you like what this, you know, baseball player's batting average was in 1979 and stuff like that. It's like, who cares? Like, but people do that, okay? Um, and, you know, I find this actually happens a lot um, when people begin to try to predict this score or what's going to happen at this game or something like that, okay? Um, this is the know-it-all. Well, I, I, I know so much about sports that I can actually predict what the score is going to be. It's like, yeah, I can do that. Like, really, you can? And I think, I think it's funny because you know, 75% of the time they fall flat on their face and, but then they still claim to like know it all. Okay. It's like, no, you don't know anything. So, um, analysts are always like the sports analysts are always like, this is what's going to happen in this game. And it like never happens, but, um, but it can also show up in a different way. Okay. It's not just people who are like, I know all about sports. It's the athlete on the field who, who shows off all of his different moves too. That's a know-it-all. He thinks he, he knows it all by showing it all, okay? He's unnecessarily gimmicky with his, with the, you know, with the soccer ball or something like that, or he can, like, twirl the basketball on his finger, you know? Like, that's, like, what I do all the time. I can, I can twirl a basketball on my finger, but in my defense, that's the only thing I can do with a basketball, so I'm, I'm really not good at basketball at all, okay? So, um, but these kind of things, they're not all bad. It's not, like, bad to, like, do tricks in sports and, uh, or anything like that necessarily, um, or, or even to, to talk about sports and, and to try to predict stuff. But when there's a ring of arrogance to it, you know it's pushing the boundaries. Uh, we have to be very careful about why we say what we say 
or why we do what we do, okay? We have to be very careful. And we equally have to be careful, careful about how we're kind of projecting what we say or how we're projecting what we do, okay? Because it can be perceived by others a certain way. If you're flaunting what you know or what you can do, you're running with the know-it-all crowd, okay? Know-it-alls don't show up in the Bible as a label, like, like before. But a know-it-all is in the Bible, and a know-it-all is called a proud person. A proud person, okay? This is a proud person. Um, two weeks ago, I kind of brought up Luke chapter 18, which talks about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, and you guys, if you remember the Pharisee, the Pharisee was very proud of himself, you know? He was standing by himself, you know? And the idea of that was not because he was really shy. He was trying to stand out so that everyone would see him. So it's kind of like, hey, you know, everyone pay attention. Look at me. Look at me. You know, I'm about to pray. And, and then he starts praying loudly so everyone can hear him. And then he prays things like, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners or unjust or idolaters, or even like that tax collector over there. You know, I fast twice a week. I pay all my tithes and stuff like that. Basically, he's saying it's all about me. It's all about me. That's a know-it-all. That's a know-it-all. He's proud. Uh, Brian Regan, who's a famous stand-up comedian, calls this person the me monster. Okay? The me monster. Uh, what's going on, on inside the mind of a me monster or a know-it-all? The know-it-all thinks, I want people to respect me. I want people to respect me. That's what a know-it-all is desiring. That's what he thinks. Make me look great. Sports are often a way for people to parade themselves around in front of other people. I mean, seriously, like, like I would say the majority of athletes, when they, when they go pro and they're trying to, you know, you know, it is kind of about money, but when, when, they're, when they're making all kinds of money and stuff like that, what's the whole point of that? It's for show. They, they're, they're trying to be the best athlete because they're showing off. It's true. It's pride. It's what that is. And there's a place for joking. Um, there's a there's a place for kind of joking around at times, I think, in sports and stuff like that. But but ask yourself, why am I about to do this, or why am I about to say this? What kind of agenda do I have to boost myself, um, if I have one at all? And so that's that's the um, uh, the know it all. But last, I want to look at. The everyone's a winner guy, okay? The everyone's a winner guy. And I don't know, did, did you guys ever play a sport or like we're in a competition ever and you had, well, I, let me finish what I'm going to say. Uh, I know you guys have all been in some sport or competition, okay? But where you got a ribbon for participating? Yeah. Yeah, yeah those are the best, right? <laughs> no, those are the worst. Like, that's yeah. like, really? Um by the way, even major sports do this. Um, it's just kind of more cryptic the way it comes across. Right now, the March Madness is going on, and we, we've kind of talked about this because we're doing the Disney bracket March Madness right now. Um, but the bracket in March Madness in college basketball takes the top 64 teams and puts them against each other until it winnows down to one final team. Okay. Well, there's another bracket called the NIT bracket, and it's – they never call it this, but it's basically the loser's bracket, okay? It's basically a way for, like, the teams who didn't make it to have their own bracket. 
and to face off against each other and to see who wins and to make everyone kind of feel like they're included, you know, and, you know, they can win something even though they're not going to win everything. So even major sports have this, but nobody likes it when, when people say everyone's a winner. It kind of cheapens the win and, and just doesn't make it as great. But I'm actually not concerned that any of you guys are, are like this, like that you are like, you just you just love like everybody's a winner and you know and makes everyone feel good about yourself and stuff like that and i mean it's it's good in one sense to you know we we want to include everybody but not everyone's going to win like that's just that's the reality of sports okay if that happened sports wouldn't exist um that's not how this actually shows up in your life and i realize that it actually shows up a little bit different okay i'm kind of using the everyone's a winner analogy for someone who doesn't like to make people mad okay someone who doesn't like to make people mad because that's at the heart of what it means to kind of make everyone a winner you don't want to make you don't want to offend anybody okay and and you might be kind of like well what's wrong with that though like i don't want to make people mad that's not a good thing like well there's nothing wrong with that usually except when it keeps you from doing what you're supposed to be doing when it keeps you from doing what you're supposed to be doing. That becomes a problem. Uh, the four stereotypes we talked about so far are more aggressive. This one actually swings the pendulum to the other side, and it kind of pictures a person who's like, doesn't really actually want to ha have a too strong of a hand in sports, okay? And <clears throat> because it might offend someone. Now, if you're like, well, how does this work? Well, let me kind of give you a stupid example, okay? Stupid example, so you can kind of get this. Um, Let's say Evan here chucks a dodgeball at me outside, okay, which he did several times. He actually hit me once. Um, but this time he misses, okay? And not by much, but he misses, all right? But Evan doesn't see it that way, all right? He doesn't think he misses. He th so he thinks, I, I actually got James. So he yells over to me, I got you, okay? Now, because I fear for my life that Evan's going to get really mad at me, okay? Because I'm a rage monster, that's right. Because, because I'm disagreeing with him, all right? And by the way, he would never actually get mad at me like this, okay? I'm just using an example, all right? Um, but, but, just, but, but just for the sake of argument here, I get scared, so I say, okay, you got me, all right? And then I sit down, and, and so here's the logic in my head. Here's what's going on, all right? My, my thought is, well, everyone's a winner here, okay? I'm happy because I'm not dead. And he's happy because he got me, so we all win. So, but what's the problem there? What's the problem? You tell me. He never hit me, right? I lied in a sense, okay? In a in a in a game of in a game of dodgeball. Now we could argue whether it actually hit me or not if it grazed my head or whatever. But why did I lie? Because I feared man more than I feared God. Okay, that's just a dumb example, all right? But when it comes to an everyone's a winner, guy or girl, you fear man more than you fear God. And, and here's kind of where this can show up, okay? Let me give you a, a more serious example, okay? Uh, a more real example. Um, a good example of this is let's say, for example, there's a time in, like, you're playing a sport, okay? You're involved in, a, like, a... I don't know, football or soccer or something like that. And your teammates, 
or we're, you're all in the locker room together and they're making inappropriate jokes, okay? And you, you know, laugh along because you don't want to offend them by your obvious silence. Well, you know, you might know it's wrong and you would never joke like that, but you don't know what else, you don't know what else to do in that split second. And so you go ahead and just kind of laugh with them. And what's going on inside your mind in that split second? Here's what's going on inside your mind. Uh, I want people to like me. I want people to like me. That's what's going on inside your head. I don't want people to be mad at me. I want people to like me. And so you're willing to compromise in that moment. But what that is is a fear of man and not a fear of God. Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. We should have a greater fear of God than a fear of man. If, if our fear of man causes us to do something that is wrong, that fear is too great. That fear is too great. And that can happen even in sports settings as well. Okay. So, five sand traps. Five sand traps to avoid. The rage monster, the sportsaholic, the celebrity fanatic, the know-it-all, the everybody's a winner guy. Okay. Now it may seem to like you, like to you, like um, we've talked so much about what you shouldn't do in sports that there's really no wiggle room to do anything right. Should we even play sports at all? Okay. Like, is there any good way to actually play a sport? You know, it's if you're on the golf course, the entire course is a sand trap. You know, you can't actually hit it on the green or anything like that. All right. That's not that's not what I'm trying to say here. Okay. What, but the question might, you might be asking yourself is, what am I supposed to do now? How do I actually, what, what, what can I actually do with sports? Let me give you three simple steps, okay? Three simple steps. This will be easy. We can knock these out of the park, okay? And you know them, too. You know them. Love God. Love others. Have fun. Okay? Those are my three steps, all right? It's very simple, okay? Love God. Love others. Have fun. If you love God and others... You won't turn into a rage monster. You won't. Because rage monsters are out to run over people to get what they want. But you have the mindset, I want to love other people because I love God. And, and so that's not going to happen. Okay. If you love God and others, you won't become a raging sportsaholic. Okay? Sportsaholics let sports consume their lives. But you're too busy being passionate about God and loving others to let something as insignificant as sports dominate your life. And so... You may like sports, but it's just a hobby. It's not your identity. So you're not going to let it consume you. You're not going to let it control you. If you love God and others, you're not going to morph into some crazy celebrity fanatic. Okay? You're not. Celebrity fanatics aren't concerned about their spiritual walks because they're too busy trying to read up on other you know, people and trying to dictate the lives of other sports celebrities. But you, on the other hand, are sensitive to how your life can contribute greatly to the glory of God. That's what you're concerned about. If you love God and others, you'll avoid being a know-it-all. Know-it-alls are only in it for themselves, but you're in it for God. You're focused on God and locked into loving other people, and you won't have time or energy to be able to focus on spending you know, time on yourself and promoting yourself and things like that. <clears throat> If you love God and others, you'll sidestep the everyone's a winner guy. Because everyone 
everyone's a winner guy. Uh, he may love people, but he loves people too much. He loves people too much. Um, and what I mean by that is they love people so much that they don't love God. They don't love God. Because people and God become at odds with each other. They become at odds with each other. If you begin to wish that people will like you better and, and you just try to hope that everyone gets along here, but you're willing to compromise your spiritual walk before God, what have you just done? You have pitted God against others. That's never the way God intended it. Our love for others comes from our love for God and our love for others shows our love for God. They go together. But you, on the other hand, prefer to fear God and when push comes to shove, God takes precedence in your life over, other, over others, okay? So, love God, love others, have fun. Once you have the first two, teps, stu, uh, two steps in place, the rest is easy. You can just have fun. You can just have fun, okay? Because that's the whole point of sports, if you really think about it. Like, why do we do sports? Like, why do we have fun? Why do we play dodgeball? Like, why do we do all that kind of stuff like, like that? Sports is God-given time to recreate, to be active, and to enjoy life. That's really simply what it is. And if you have God at the center and then others blanketed around that, you're going to protect yourself from being a rage monster, from being a sportsaholic, from being a celebrity fanatic, from being a know-it-all, or from being that everyone's a winner guy, okay? It's actually pretty simple, and I think you guys know that. And that's, if you really think about it, love God, love others. What is that? That's kind of the foundation of what we've been talking about in, uh, in Unstained, isn't it? That's what we talked about last semester. Love God, love others.